Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This is a spiritual and spirited community where we together have a free and responsible search for truth and meaning and support one another in our spiritual growth. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. So on Sunday mornings, we greet the divine in our midst by turning to the people around us and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning are the words of M. Scott Mumaday, who is a Kiowa novelist, short story writer, essayist, and poet. To encounter the sacred is to be alive at the deepest center of human existence. Sacred places are the truest definition of the earth. They stand for the earth immediately and forever. They are its flags and shields. If you would know the earth for what it really is, learn it through its sacred places. At Devil's Tower, or Canyon Ducelli, or the Cahokia Mounds, you touch the pulse of the living planet. You feel its breath upon you. You become one with a spirit that pervades geologic time and space. How do you make decisions as a church? How do you figure out where you want to go and who you want to be? You have a mission, a mission statement, and it helps you make your decisions, and it helps you guide your path as you move forward into the future. We say our mission every Sunday. It's written here in your order of service. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our meditation reading this morning is the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, an Episcopal priest, professor, author, and theologian. Later, when I stood in front of an altar waving incense, I would remember standing in front of the bar at Dante's waving cigarette smoke out of my face and extend the same feeling of tenderness would wash over me because the people in both places were so much alike. We were all seeking company, meaning, solace, self-forgetfulness. Whether we found these things or not, it was the seeking that led us to find each other in the cloud, even when we had nothing else in common. Sometimes I wondered if it even mattered if our communion cups were filled with consecrated wine or draft beer, as long as we bent over them long enough to recognize each other as kin. Let us join together in an attitude of prayer and meditation where we pray and listen to God as we understand God or where we listen to the wisdom that is within us 
or where we just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. It is in this wise silence that we can ask for clarity and compassion, where we can feel ourselves held in the arms of love. In this congregation, tiny noises from babies and the noises of life count as part of the silence.
according to tradition, this is part of what was written on the breastplate of St. Patrick's uh, armor. I had this written in one of my son's rooms, the first part of it, for him to see when he woke up every morning. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of earth, the firmness of rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, afar and near. St. Patrick is said to have brought Christianity to Ireland. I think the truer story is that Christianity was already there. Um, the Celtic people had occupied the regions of Europe that are the um, Scotland, Ireland, England, France, parts of Germany, um, the Brittany part of France is where the Celtic people were. Uh, they kept being driven farther and farther north by the Roman soldiers because um, the Roman Empire was expanding. And so it ended up really that the Celts were mostly in Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. As you know, in 313, uh, Roman Christianity became the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. But by the 5th century, the empire was falling apart, and people on the farthest reaches of the empire were returning to their pagan practices. The man we know as St. Patrick was born to Roman parents, who were probably functionaries in England for the Roman emperor. When he was 16, his village was raided by Irish raiders, and he was kidnapped and taken to Ireland and enslaved to a tribal chieftain who used him as a shepherd. And the shepherds who were enslaved got very few clothes and very little food, so he was naked and starving. Um, this is from the story that Patrick wrote about his own life. He said he escaped with the help of God, traveled back to England and became a priest. In middle age, he requested, this is about the year 450 or so, he requested to go back to Ireland and began preaching Christianity. Most of the people in Ireland, and the Ireland that he landed in, were Celts. And they don't know really where the Celts came from. Some people say India and some people say Turkey, but they had come up and around the Mediterranean and um, ended up, as I said, up in northern uh, England and Scotland and Wales and Ireland. So the Romans called the Celts Gali. Um, so we think that maybe St. Paul's letter to the Galatians was to the Celts, the, the Galatians. Um, the Greeks called them Keltoi. 
they were known as ferocious warriors whose men and women both entered into battle. And the way you would enter into battle would be to strip all your clothes off, paint yourself blue, uh, put lime in your hair so it bleached it white, and the dreadlocks would kind of stick up like this. So there'd be these painted blue naked people screaming and coming at you with their hair sticking up. It was quite terrifying. I hear. Their religion was a religion of warrior heroes who were gods and human at the same time and kind of in between. When you died, you went under the hills with the fairy folk who could move back and forth between uh, the human world and the world of the spirits. The Celtic gods were not particularly loving or kind. They were tricky and mean and pretty self-interested. Um, the Roman historians claimed that the Celts practiced human sacrifice. Uh, the Celts say that is propaganda. We do know that they liked in battle to cut off their enemies' heads and bring them home. Um, they would put them in the little niche in the dining room, that niche you thought was for the Virgin Mary, um, and they thought that the heads spoke to them from time to time. There were spirits in the rocks and spirits in the trees, spirits in the wells and springs and animals and in the ocean. And all the spirits, like the divinities, were a little tricky and somewhat mean, so they needed appeasing. And the druids were the ones who were experts at what to do to keep the spirits happy. They were also a highly educated group of people who carried the history and the tradition of the various Celtic groups in their memories. They had an oral tradition. It was said that they frowned on writing, but I think they just thought writing was uh, not as good as memorizing, and that if you're a really intelligent person, you would just memorize the whole history and the law. After you got to a a certain level uh, as a druid or a bard, you could be a singing learned person, bard, or you could be someone who memorized the law. And none of the law was written down. It was all in the brains of the Druid lawyers. So if the king needed to know, uh, what's the law about somebody who does that kind of stealing of a pig from his neighbor, the lawyer Druid would be right there to say, well, the law on that says you have to do this and that, and except in this other case when you have to do this and that. And then the king would say, thank you very much. So, uh, the Druid bards would watch the court, activity in the court, and they would write songs about the royals. And some of the songs were full of praise, and but not if the king did something stupid. Then the songs would say, our king did something really stupid. And um, that would be in the song forever. They would also watch the battles from afar, so they could describe who had been brave and who had been intrepid. They liked to talk in codes and riddles, the Druids did, and they used to have poetry contests. We would call it a slam today. So the Druid poetry slams were really life and death because there's one story about a Druid who got his opponent 
so completely that the opponent, the loser, just dropped dead on the spot. It was into this era that Patrick came. He was familiar with the Irish language and the Irish culture, and he chose not to try to eradicate the more pagan beliefs. Now, pagan just means religion of the countryside, religion of nature. He, he chose not to eradicate those beliefs. He chose to kind of borrow them for Catholicism. And so he used the shamrock as a way of explaining the Trinity. It was like, it's like the shamrock, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, they're all still the shamrock, but there's kind of a trinity. And that was enough of an explanation for people who maybe didn't really care because they were used to a trinity of goddesses, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. So they were used to a triple-faced god. And they were used to gods that were half human and half divine. He took uh, the, the sacred wells and put churches right next to them or on top of them. So you go into the church and down into the basement to honor the well. He decided to start using bonfires to celebrate Easter because the Celts loved bonfires and used them on every occasion. They honored the sun, which if you've ever been to Ireland, you'll understand why. They just don't see it that much. And so he put a sun symbol on the cross to make the cross, the Irish Celtic cross, a better symbol for the, more powerful for the Irish people. So the Druids fought him at every turn. They did not want the religions to change. But uh, the people took to Christianity easily, and since God was loving, it was a little bit better than the tricky mean gods. And so a lot of the Druids just gave up and became priests. They were some of the first priests of Celtic Christianity. So the reason I want to talk about this Celtic Christianity today is because it, since he did not eradicate the earth-loving beliefs, the nature-based beliefs, it was a kind of a combination of um, pagan and Catholicism that persisted in Ireland for several centuries until it was wiped out by other less kind missionaries. And um, it was different in these ways. Number one, women were honored and respected in Celtic Christianity. There were abbesses who ran their own um, abbeys. The women could give communion from time to time, we think, because of some archaeological finds. Um, there was no prohibition on dancing or drinking or sexuality because that was part of the Roman Christianity that just did not translate for the Irish people um, at first. They've gotten really good at it now, but um, they were not as down on sex as they, used, as they are now. One of the reasons that Celtic Christianity escaped the kind of, I would say, twistedness of Roman um, Catholicism towards sex and women is just because someone had really bad manners. Here's the story. So there was a Christian theologian, an African man named Augustine of Hippo. Catholics call him Augustine. 
Protestants call him Augustine, same guy. He uh, was raised by a Christian mother, but he didn't want any part of religion. He had a mistress for 15 years who bore him a son, and then one day he was converted. And his sexuality kept giving him problems. He couldn't be uh, neutral and cool when it came to sex. So he began blaming the women. Um, the women in this part of the world in Roman Catholicism were called the devil's gateway um, because it is through the women that, se- that uh, sin came into the world. And Augustine uh, taught about um, concupiscence, which is a theological word for lust. And he said, so the more concupiscence there is when a child is, um, uh, I'm blanking on the word, conceived, thank you, when a child is conceived, the more original sin that child will be born into the world with. And so your ideal way of conceiving a child is to be so cool and non-lustful and not enjoying it so that the... um, so that the child will have less original sin. In the mid-400s, a different Augustine was sent to England by Pope Gregory to convert the pagan Anglo-Saxons again, Um, back to the right religion, and he was installed as the Archbishop of Canterbury. The Celtic bishops came to visit him and welcome him, and first they asked a wise hermit whether they should listen to this new Archbishop from Rome or not. And the wise hermit said, uh, if he is of God, follow him. And they said, how will we know? And the wise man said, if he rises courteously to greet you, then he is of God. If he is rude and proud, he is not. Augustine did not rise from his throne of archbishopry, and the Celtic bishops left and refused to change their customs to concur with those of Rome. So the Celtic Christians kept a love of creation an acceptance of sexuality, and a respect for women, unlike their continental brothers and sisters in the church, for, for longer. Every bit of creation had a soul. You could still talk to the spirits in the trees and the spirits in the well. The church is coming back to this. Elements of the Christian church are coming back to this. Matthew Fox is a Jesuit priest. Well, he's the Jesuits kicked him out, so he's... Um, Episcopal now, I think. Yes, the Jesuits, he kept talking about creation, spirituality, and original blessing instead of original sin. Matthew Fox, you want to read him if you you like reading theology. And the Jesuits said, and this is the Jesuits, I mean, they're very, very liberal, but he was going too far. And so they said, you must be quiet for, I think it was two years, but it might have been longer. And so he was, and he switched over to being Uh, Episcopal. And then the first time he could speak again, he stood up at the lectern and said, 
As I was saying, (laughs) a theologian named Teilhard de Chardin said, every atom has consciousness. A Jewish theologian named Martin Buber says, we should have an I-thou relationship with creation. In other words, you wouldn't say of your grandmother, oh, it's standing at the kitchen sink in the middle of making biscuits. That would horrify us to call your grandmother it. And so you have an I-thou relationship instead of an I-it relationship with the people you love. Martin Buber said we should have an I-thou relationship with all of creation. So there are movements within modern liberal Christianity that echo back to Celtic, earth-loving, green Christianity. So it looks like maybe the Christians and the pagans can sit down together after all and drink mead under the fairy hills on their way to the summerland. I would like to close by reading you the Abbess Bridget's Grace. She writes, I should like a great lake of ale for the King of Kings. I should like a table of the choicest food for the family of heaven. Let the ale be made from the fruits of faith, and the food be the forgiving love. I should welcome the poor to my feast, for they are God's children. I should welcome the sick to my feast, for they are God's joy. Let the poor sit with Jesus at the highest place, and the sick Dance with the angels. God bless the poor. God bless the sick. And bless our human race. God bless our food. God bless our strength. All homes, O God, embrace. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to this song from the Appalachian Mountains, which is where a lot of the Irish people landed. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.